so did you get the message? We're talking about grace this morning. In the scriptures and in song and in praise. And now in the sermon. As we dig deeper into the sermon series on warm hearts and wide tables, what it means to be Christian first, and then what it means to be United Methodist, today we are talking about grace. Because we can't talk about United Methodists without talking about grace. Now, I looked up on the official United Methodist website their definition of grace. And it reads like this. Grace is the love and mercy given to us by God because God wants us to have it, not because of anything we have done to earn it. That's the official, officially approved, officially endorsed definition. But as I was working on this sermon, my guess was that you would want to hear my unofficial definition of grace, the one that UMC.org has not approved of and has not posted on their website. And you're going to hear it anyway. (laughs) And here it is. Grace is that freely given love, mercy, and forgiveness of God that is so over the top, it's outlandish, so unfair that it's unjust, and so freely given that it's offensive. God's grace, over the top, unjust, offensive. You see, there's this story in the Bible From John chapter 2, where Jesus is at a wedding, and the young couple has run out of wine. And this is not just a social faux pas. This is a disaster in biblical times, because the abundance of wine and food at a wedding showed God's blessing upon that couple in their marriage. And so what Jesus does is he takes six massive clay jars at the prompting of his mother, each holding about 20 to 30 gallons of wine, the scripture says, and he turns all of that water, each holding 20 to 30 gallons of water, and he turns all of that into fine wine, every single gallon of it. Now, I didn't do the math on this. Reverend Byron did. And he told me that it would have been about 1,000 bottles of wine. Enough not only for the remaining parties that weekend and the wedding festivities, but enough to feed the whole town for a couple of weeks. In the Gospels, when God gives grace, even when we haven't earned it or planned for it or deserve it, God gives it in over-the-top, completely outlandish ways. There's a few more stories like that in our Bible. The one that comes to mind to me the most is the story of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And if you remember that story, essentially they are grumbling, the text says, which means that they are whining with every step they take about this journey through the wilderness. And this group of people, which doesn't deserve or hasn't earned anything, all of a sudden gets from God bread raining down from heaven every morning, fresh, in abundance, for them to eat. And, of course, they whine some more. So then God sends quail so numerous into their camp that they cover the whole camp. There's another story in the New Testament where Jesus takes five loaves and two fishes and somehow multiplies it into enough to feed over 5,000 people. And just to prove how outlandish it was, Jesus makes sure that there's 12 baskets of scraps left over. God's grace is given in abundance, and it's not something that is rationed out bit by bit. 
But yet many also would say that God's grace is unfair. So unfair that it can be unjust. Jesus again tells a story in Matthew 20 about a man who owned a, vine- who owned a vineyard. And it was harvest time in the vineyard, so the man goes out into the streets and he finds some laborers for the day and he negotiates with them a full day's work for a full day's wage. Sounds fair. And they go to work probably right at sunrise or very early in the morning and they're, they're working away in the vineyard harvesting the grapes. And at 9 o'clock the owner of the vineyard goes out and he brings in some more laborers. And then at noon, he goes out and brings in more. And then at 3 p.m., he goes out and brings in more. And finally, at 5 p.m., the owner goes out into the streets and gets all of those folks who never got hired for the day and brings them to the vineyard. My guess is they worked for about an hour. And when the sun went down and evening came, the owner lines up everyone and tells them it's time to get paid. And so he goes to the ones who started way before sunrise, working all day long outside. And he pays them a full day's wage. And then as he goes down the line, he gives a full day's wage to the ones that started at 9 o'clock and then at noon and then at 3 and then the ones that only worked for a few minutes at 5 o'clock. They all get paid the same amount. And every time I read that story, I say, what kind of a story is this? This isn't fair and this isn't just. Because I'm the kind of person that sometimes can be a little black and white, and I believe that a day's work equals a day's wage, and that, and that hard work is rewarded, and that people get what they deserve, or at least they should get what they earn. But it seems that God's grace doesn't work that way. Time and time again in the Bible, God shows us that people don't get what they deserve. If you think about King David or Moses or even Jonah, the adulterer, the murderer, the deserter, they do not get what they deserve. In fact, they get to be freely forgiven, and then they go on to become these great founders and fathers of our faith. So friends, if that hasn't irritated you enough yet this morning, you should also know that lastly, God's grace is so freely given that it can be offensive. You probably have this scripture verse written on your heart, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And what it says is that for God so loved that he gave. There was no caveat, no litmus test. It doesn't say that God gave to those who could give back or that God gave to those who obeyed all the rules or who were in the right pew every Sunday morning, year in and year out, or that God gave to those who never hurt anybody or did everything right. It simply says, God gave. And what's worse is that God didn't even ask for our permission first to give for us, which essentially means that there's nothing you can do to earn God's grace, and there's nothing you can do to get rid of it. It's there whether you like it or not. You can't control it. You can't bargain with it. You can't manipulate it. And even worse, and this is the part that irritates me, you can't choose who gets it. God gives, and God gives freely. And I have no control over who gets that gift. As I was daydreaming about this sermon, I was thinking that Oprah must have stolen one from God's playbook 
on that episode where she gave out the free car to everyone in the audience. You might remember that episode. Because when I see that, that flashback in my head and she's yelling at the audience, I'm pretty certain that God did that first. God said, you get grace and you get grace, you get grace and you get grace, and everyone out there gets grace. This is just sort of like an insight into the minds of a daydream of a pastor. <laughs> Friends, God's grace, outlandish, over the top, completely unfair. And yet this is what we as people who call ourselves United Methodists base pretty much the core of our theology upon, this all-encompassing grace of God. And so I'm going to ask you to hang with me for a minute, and we're going to have just the briefest Methodist history lesson, very brief. If you don't want to go back to class, that's fine. If you do, you can take notes in your little sermon notes section. The 8 o'clock people just stared at me like, I am not writing this down. <laughs> but you should know that John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Church, the Methodist Church, used three fancy words when he talked about grace. The first was provenient grace. It literally means comes before and it's that grace from God that is with us before we can even speak about it or talk about it or learn about it. And it works in our lives to draw us and compel us towards God. And then the second word that John Wesley used was justifying grace. The grace which God gives us that forgives our sins, welcomes us back when at age 5 or 15 or 45, whatever it is for you, you finally decide to follow Jesus. And then thirdly, there's sanctifying grace. That grace of God which keeps our feet upon the path when the journey gets hard and helps us to become more like Christ. So that sums it all up. As Methodists, we believe that God's grace surrounds us from our very first breath to our very last breath. Wherever we are on the journey, wherever we are on the path, even if we've completely fallen off the path, God's grace is there. So if you've still got your seminary cap on, your Methodist student cap on, you might be thinking, huh, I, I actually see a way around all of this. Because it begs the question, does this mean, does this mean that we can just sit back, relax, and do as we please? Carry on as you were because God's grace is free and no matter what you do, God's going to keep just doling it out like a free minivan and an afternoon talk show host. And I really truly believe that the answer to that question is yes. God's grace isn't going anywhere. You can accept it or you can run from it. You can claim it at age Five, or you can claim it at age 95 on your deathbed in your final breath, in your final hour. That's really your choice. But here's the catch, because there's always a catch. And that is, is that this over-the-top, unfair, outlandish gift, well, it changes us when we open ourselves up to it. It's like a gift given so freely that it inspires you to be a better person, to want to do more and want to give, want to give it away yourself. Wesley called this moving on towards perfection, which to me in my life has been quite a terrifying phrase, that word perfection. 
But don't get frightened by the language because what John Wesley meant was not perfection in the sense of getting straight A's or, or perfection in the sense of never failing at your job or, or finding out a way to manage 2.5 children and all their sports practices and home-cooked meals while still looking put together yourself. That's not the kind of perfection that he was talking about. What he meant instead was that when we move on towards perfection, we've recognized that God's grace has worked its way into our souls and that it makes us want to be more like Christ. It's that simple. I was having a conversation last week with uh, Shelly Hoffmaster. She's a member of our church. She's been around for a lot of years, pretty much her whole life. And she was telling me about this woman that she had been noticing on her commute to and from work. Now, Shelly drives through um, almost Inner Harbor, past the stadiums every morning to get into downtown Baltimore. And she had been seeing this woman, and she felt this draw to this woman. She felt like she was being nudged or pushed, and you know, obviously, that's when you need to pay attention. And And she felt like she needed to find some way to care for her. So one day she pulled over on on her morning commute and she stopped to talk to her. And and this woman would stand right by where the big mural is of the whale, right across from the Raven Stadium. You probably know where I'm talking about. And there is a group of of folks who are homeless that often stand there. And so Shelly stopped to talk to her and she introduced herself and she... Um, she had tucked in her purse a granola bar in case she had seen her again, so she had something to give her. And as luck would have it, of course, the woman was allergic to peanuts, and the granola bar was full of peanuts, and that's just sometimes doing good doesn't always work out the way you envision it the first time. But she learned her name, and her name was Kayla, and she asked her, is there anything I can do for you? How can I help you? Because Shelley didn't know where to start. And the woman simply said, I'll be grateful for anything. And thank you for talking to me. Thank you for learning my name. And so Shelly went about her business, and she started tucking aside meals and extra little things that Kayla might need into her car that day. And it had been a few days since she had seen her, and she's starting to get worried about her. And, and she looks up on her way home one day, and she sees Kayla in her rearview mirror. So she's doing a U-turn right before she gets on 295 and going around the block in busy traffic just to greet her again by name and to give her a hot meal that she had tucked aside, some ravioli that day, she said. And so now Shelly finds herself lying awake at night wondering what Kayla's doing, if she's okay, If she had a meal that day, how can she help her? How can she care for her? She finds herself praying for her and and tucking aside more snacks in her car each day. And as I listened to her tell this story, it really struck me that I think that this is exactly what moving on towards perfection looks like. It's not all Mother Teresa. It's not all Martin Luther King. Sometimes it's just paying attention to the nudge of the Holy Spirit of who, they, who God has put in your path that day to care for and to reach out for. It simply looks like striving to be more like Christ, the one who always stopped for the stranger, the one who always stopped and paid attention to the sick and defended the weak and fed those who were hungry. You know, John Wesley described it this way. He said that it is people who know God's grace. It's our call 
to do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can. And we take a deep breath because that's a heavy calling and it sounds like hard work. But nothing that's called moving on to perfection should be too easy. So friends, that's what we're supposed to do when we've been changed by God's grace. Strive to be more like Christ. I want to close this morning with a story I heard about a woman who was teaching vacation Bible school in her church. And she was trying to teach the kids in her class, they were younger elementary school kids, about this vineyard parable from Matthew chapter 20. So she went out and she bought a pack of $500 bill Monopoly money. And she came into class the next day and she told a group of kids in her class, just a few of them, that if you do jumping jacks for five minutes, I'll pay you $500 in this money and you can buy a toy from the store or from the cantina or whatever it was at VBS that day. And so, um, you know kids, they don't shy away from a challenge ever, pretty much. So they started jumping and she started the timer And they were having a ball, jumping, working hard, squealing, giggling, going about their business. And then at the three-minute mark, she encouraged a few more kids to join in. Don't you want to join in as well? Come on, it's fun. And and so they did. And then at the two-minute mark, a few more. And then at the 30-second mark, she coaxed the last few people in to do the jumping jacks. And when the five minutes was up, she asked them all to line up against the wall because it was time to get paid. And of course, you all know exactly what happened. You guessed it. She went down the line and she started with the kids who had, were now bright red in the face. They'd been working hard for five minutes doing their jumping jacks and she gave them a crisp new $500 bill. And then she handed one to the kids who had been jumping for three minutes and then the kids who had been jumping for two minutes and the kids who had jumped for the last 30 seconds. And all you parents and all you teachers and grandparents and aunts and uncles know that the kids lost their minds. <laughs> They went nuts. How is this fair? I worked this hard and I got this much and she worked this hard and she got this much. And they were wailing and carrying on and the other BBS teacher in the room turned to her and said, like, you know, this is the part where you show them how it's fair. Instead, the teacher just said, I know. I don't get it either. I hate this story. (laughs) It drives me crazy. And then she said, but they say that God is like this. That you get God's grace and God's love no matter how long you jump or how many jumping jacks you do. And we know that she was right, of course. So this week, do your jumping jacks, have a blast, work hard, strive to be like Christ, Try to be sort of perfect. Do all the good you can for as long as ever you can. Get on the path or stay on the path. Or don't. It's your choice. Sit on the sidelines or run the other way or ignore God or look out for yourself. Still your choice. But God's grace will be there. Available, free, abundant, unfair, no matter what you choose to do. And yeah, that's crazy. And yeah, that's not fair. But I can't help but think 
that that's the beauty of it all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.